This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. This is the Ed Milet Show. Welcome back to Max Out, everybody. Today's show is why I did the show in the first place, and it was about maxing out your life. And I've been fascinated all my life with finding out the ultimate way that human beings can perform. And this man to my left, I consider to be an expert on that topic and many other topics. And so if you started a program called Max Out, your ultimate guest would be the gentleman to my left. He's an all multiple-time New York Times bestselling author in all kinds of different categories. He is the executive director of the Flow Research Collective, and he's becoming a good friend of mine, and I can't wait to talk about flow today with all of you with Stephen Kotler. So, Stephen, thanks for being here. Pleasure, Ed. So good, man. Um, any of you that have ever been in that zone in your life, you've had that moment where you just the right words came out of your mouth, or when you're an athlete, you just performed at your peak state. There's just We all know that moment. We've touched them, all of us, in our lives, but I, you call that flow. What would you describe what the process of flow is, the state of flow? Uh, so flow is a technical term. It's a scientific term. We can talk about where it comes from in a sec. But, uh, and as you pointed out, right, lots of synonyms. Being in the zone, runner's high. If you're a basketball player, you call it being unconscious. If you're a jazz musician, it's in the pocket. If you're a stand-up comic, it's the forever box. Everybody's got their lingo. Yeah. Um, Scientists define flow as an optimal state of consciousness where we feel our best and we perform our best. And more specifically, so everybody knows what the hell we're talking about, yeah, yeah. right? It's those moments of rapt attention and total absorption. You get so focused on the task and what you're doing, everything else just disappears, yeah. right? So your sense of self, self-consciousness will vanish completely. Time will dilate, which is a fancy way of saying it passes strangely, right? Yeah. Sometimes it speeds up, five hours go by in five seconds. Or if sometimes it slows down, you get that freeze frame effect. Bermuda and has been in a car crash. And throughout, all aspects of performance, both mental and physical, go through the roof. So that's flow in a mm. nutshell. How did you stumble upon this? Because you've written on all these other topics. Was it, I, I heard this story about, I know you were following around all these sort of like ultimate athletes, these peak performance type crazy athletes. Is that when this all sort of came into your frame of being? It's a twofold story. So uh, part A is I, when I was a journalist, as you pointed out, coming up, um, in my 20s, uh, action sports were just happening. Surfing, skiing, rock climbing, snowboarding, and uh, the gravity games were starting, the X games, and media was starting to pay attention. And so if you could ride and ski, or ride and rock climb, or ride and whatever, there was some work. And I couldn't do any of those things very well. <laughs> but I was draw really drawn to the sports, um, and I really needed the work. So I lied to my editors and, you know, claimed I was a lot better than I was. And I was lucky enough to essentially spend a decade chasing professional athletes around yeah. mountains across oceans. And along the way, um, what, first of all, their level of performance, this was, was started to rise to the roof, right? We, it, there, the growth in action sports in the 90s, nothing like this has ever happened before in the history of the world. We saw kind of more impossible feats yeah. fall in one day. And so what the hell was going on? All the journalists who were covering this, it was a t 
topic of conversation because it wasn't like it was this was a rowdy bunch of people you'd be out at night everybody's doing 12 shots of tequila smoking an ounce of weed taking acid lighting a bus on fire and seeing if we could throw naked backflips over it on you know on skis like it was not real things real things okay. and the next morning you'd go out into the mountains with the same group of people and they would literally do something that your friend that has never been done in the history of the world and people thought was never going to be done. And it was brain scrambling, right? Yeah. It was totally brain scrambling. I broke a tremendous amount of bones. If you're not a professional athlete and you chase them around, you're going to... So at a certain point, I realized I was going to kill myself and I had to take this question of how do you do the impossible into a lot of other domains. That's where it started. And then when I was 30 years old, I got Lyme disease and I spent three years in bed. And wow. uh, by the end of it, like I lost everything. I lost the job I spent a decade trying to get. You know, what, what did Dean say? The success tax? I was yeah. paying my success yeah. tax, right? Yeah. Um, I'm getting my ass kicked. And after about three years of it, um, and I was like, I couldn't work. I was functional about 10% of the time. I was in massive amounts of pain. Couldn't think, couldn't read because my short-term memory had disappeared. My long-term memory was gone. Oh I was gosh. hallucinating sometimes. It was bad. And I was gonna, I decided I was gonna kill myself because the doctors, they pulled me off meds. There was nothing anybody could do for me. And all I was going to be was a burden to my friends and my family from that point on. And I was like, well, I'm not, that's not any way to live. And so I, I did. I had sleeping pills. I had bourbon. I, like, I had a plan. It was when. It wasn't if. And a friend of mine showed up at my house and demanded me go surfing. Dragged me. This was in L.A. Dragged me to the Pacific. Um, I couldn't walk across the room. It was a joke. But, like, they carried me out there. They put me on a giant surfboard. And 30 seconds later, a wave came. And muscle memory sort of took over. I spun the board. Pedaled a couple times, jumped up to my feet, and jumped up in, into a dimension I didn't even know existed. It was mm. the deepest flow state I'd ever experienced. I didn't even know you could go that far. Wow. It was a full out-of-body experience, a whole bunch of other weird things happening. Did you know this was flow at the I time? I didn't know. I yeah. knew I was having like what I thought was a mystical spirit. I was floating about above my body. I was not in pain, physical pain, for the first time in three years. I felt great. I felt clear-headed. Mm. I felt like I had panoramic vision. These are all, by the way, we understand the neurobiology yeah. of where all this stuff comes from now. But uh, so I had this crazy experience and I felt great and went home and like I was done. Like they put me into bed for two weeks and they'd mm. bring me food. And like on the 15th day, when I could walk again, I caught a ride with one of my neighbors and went back to the beach and did it again. And over the course of about six to eight months, because it was the only time I had felt alive at all in three years, right? Mm. My life had been miserable and this was the one. And I was like, oh, well, if I can't do anything else, at least I can do this. So I went back. We did it again. And over the course of about six months, eight months, I went from 10% functional to about 80% functional. Yeah. I, like the Lyme disease went away and I, and I was like, well, fuck is going on like right. surfing is not a known cure for chronic right. immune conditions right. right what the and i'm a science guy so i lit out on a giant quest to figure out like what the hell's going wrong with me and i learned a couple of things very very not quickly as a relative term but within a couple of years i had learned that um one i figured out why i got better so when you move into flow there is a uh it essentially it resets your nervous system so it calms you way down right okay. your stress hormones are flushed out of your system um, there's a global release of nitric oxide. It pushes all the stress hormones out of your system. And then you get a bunch of feel-good, positive, uplifting neurochemistry on the back end. So two things. Lyme disease, any autoimmune condition is a nervous system gone haywire. So just by calming your nervous system back to zero, I could level set again. I could find normal. Because oftentimes with an autoimmune condition, your body doesn't even know where normal is. Okay. Like it, it's a homeostatic organism that doesn't know how to find homeostasis. Okay. Um, so Lyme allowed me to do that. All these same neurochemicals, it turns out, this is not my work, this is Herb Benson's work yes. at Harvard, um, 
massively boost the immune system. So that was what was happening physically. Um, but what I quickly figured out is I was like, holy shit, the same thing that's taking me from seriously subpar back to normal mm -hmm. is taking these normal mathletes all the way up to super. Taking guys who they thought, you can't ride a wave more than 25 feet, and then now there's guys riding yeah. 100, 150 feet. Yeah, that's the, that's the example I love to get yeah. exactly. Like if, so uh, when we say action sports exploded in the 90s mm -hmm. and more impossibles were happening than ever before, surfing's a great example, right? Mm -hmm. It's a thousand year old sport. Mm -hmm. Progress is really slow. 4 AD to 1996, the biggest wave any was surfed is 25 feet. And there's physics papers written about how a human being can't surf a wave over 25 feet. And, you know, here we are a couple decades later and surfers are paddling into waves that are over 60 feet and they're towing into waves that are over 100, mm. right? And this was happening in every era of action sports. So that's what I was seeing and I realized it was the same mechanism. And then as I took this question of, hey, what does it take to do the impossible out of action sports into other domains, which I did, mm. business, technology, science, arts, culture, take your pick and wrote books about what I found, the mechanism is the same because it's biology. Stay on this though. So what is going on in a flow state? So we're gonna, we're gonna kind of go into flow and what sure. it looks like now. What is going on from a neurochemistry, neurobiology perspective? You started to touch on that. So yeah, let me back up half a yeah. second and say, yeah. um, when you talk about what's going on in the brain, right? Mm -hmm. um, usually you wanna talk about four things. You wanna talk about neurochemistry and neuroelectricity, which are the two ways the brain talks to itself and to the body, right? And then you wanna talk about neural anatomy and networks, which is where in the brain something is happening. And because things rarely happen in one place, you have a network, right? So that's what you wanna talk about. So in flow, we see changes everywhere. The two big things, the first is we see what's known as transient hypofrontality, yes. okay? What that means is transient temporary hypo, H-Y-P-O, it's the opposite of hyper, it means to slow down, to shut down, to deactivate. And frontality is your prefrontal cortex, it's part of your brain that's right back here. Really powerful part of your brain, executive function, your sense of morality, your sense of willpower, logical decision-making, long-term planning, all this stuff is housed in the prefrontal cortex. Um, in flow, the brain performs an efficiency exchange. It says, oh, you need extra energy for attention, focus, so I can keep your focus laser focused on the target task at hand. Mm. Let's shut down things that we don't need. Mm. So the, you just watch the prefrontal cortex, mostly the sides, turn off. This is, by the way... Contrary to everything you've ever heard yeah, before. Yeah, it's, it's, I, I, what I always say is this contrary, exactly, like 100 years of high-performance theory is a 10% brain width. We only use 10% right. of our brain, so peak performance must be the whole brain in right. overdrive. Turns this no. turns it upside down. Yeah, totally wrong. Um, so uh, this is, by the way, this is why self disappears. This is why time passes so strangely. So time is a calculation that's performed all over your prefrontal cortex. It's a bunch of different structures working together. And when start parts of it wink out, we lose the ability to separate past from present from future. So we're plunged into that deep now, right? Yes. Um, so that's what happens there. Same thing happens to your sense of self. Mm -hmm. Self, self-consciousness, that your inner critic, that nagging defeatist voice, that's also housed in your prefrontal cortex. So in flow, like not only, I mean, when you say sense of self goes away, the obvious example that everybody's experienced is, okay, I'm gonna back up and tell you yeah. one other thing before I, so yeah. there's micro flow, low grade flow state, and macro flow. What happened to me when I was skiing or surfing, yeah. uh, that was macro flow, okay. right? Feels like a mystical experience, all kinds of crazy stuff. Micro flow is you sit down and write a quickie email, yes. right? You look up an hour later, you've written an essay, and it's not that your sense of self disappeared, but maybe you had to piss and you didn't notice the whole hour. And yes. suddenly, like, you're back in your body. Right? Everybody's had that experience. So that's microflow. That's the other end of the spectrum. I've heard you talk about this, but I just want to, like, get away from the science for a second. For and sure. Just, like, everyday life. 
do you pay attention to your emotions? Like I find that for me, when I've performed at the highest levels for me, whether I've gone into the flow state every time, I'm not sure. I'll figure that out with you as we talk. But I don't always believe every emotion that I have. Whereas I think most people just believe their emotion. In other words, what they're feeling must be true because they feel it. Emotions are two things here. One, they're just signals. They're signals meant to alter behavior and they're meant to be experienced and let go. Okay. Right? They're, we're not supposed to hold on to that. They're just a signaling mechanism. Okay. Brain takes in a whole bunch of information and it's got to summarize it really quickly to trigger action. What's the fastest way to summarize a bunch of negative information? Fear. That's a summary. It's a summary of information, okay. right? It's a signal that does that. So in peak performance, especially, I always say your emotions don't mean what you think they mean yes. right? at all. And so first of all, everybody who's ever succeeded learns early on that fear, most people avoid fear, they don't mm -hmm. like it. Successful people steer by fear. They go right at things that scare them. Mm -hmm. And one of the reasons, and this is automatic, like we all will naturally move in the direction of peak performance, we're biologically hardwired for it. So a lot of when we talk about peak performance of the Flow Research Collective, what we really mean is getting your biology to work for you rather than against you. Is there a basic strategy you would give them on these 22 triggers that they could begin to find yeah, themselves? So I like to, at the end of my day, or first thing in the morning, depending on how I'm feeling, I like to start my day with like a five-minute gratitude practice, right? Everybody has a different one. Mm -hmm. I like to list 10 things I'm grateful for and just try to feel that gratitude a little bit, right? It's not, this is just about, mm -hmm. this is, by the way, about tune, gratitude tunes the amygdala. That's what you're doing okay. with. So the amygdala takes in, we take in, according to Manfred Zimmerman, the guy who did the research, credit where credit is due, 11 million bits of information a second, right? Okay. Consciousness is about 2,000 outputs. So most of everything that's going on, it's either processed subconsciously or it's just tossed out, right? 11 million bits is way too much for the brain to deal with. It's got to sift, it's got to sort. Where does it go first? It goes to the amygdala. What does the amygdala look like for? Threats, danger, and opportunity. Is there anything new here? Can I sleep with it? Can I eat it? Do I have to run away from it, right? That's what the amygdala is doing. and. It's biased because it's survival is at stake towards negative information. So we have cognitive psychologists talk about the negativity bias. What it means is your brain will take in six to nine bits of, every, of negative information for every positive bit Whoa. that gets through, right? This is a real problem for creativity because creativity is what happens when we take novel information that's coming in and combine it in a new way. And if you can't get, if there's too much fear in the way, right? So why did I say earlier, you got to do gratitude, mi mindfulness, or exercise every day? Because otherwise you're taking in too much negative information and not getting enough other stuff. The, the brain really does two things. It takes in negative information and it takes in stuff that will help you serve your goals. Right? So if it's not grabbing shit that's scaring you, it's grabbing stuff that is helping you get what you want. That's the trade-off. So you're not doing gratitude because there's something wishy-washy, spiritual, whatever. You're doing gratitude because it's going to help you get more stuff. And gratitude works because the brain, this is why affirmations don't work and gratitude does. Brain's got a phenomenal built-in bullshit detector. So if you're working at Walmart and you look in the mirror every morning and go, I am a millionaire, I am a millionaire. Your brain goes, fuck you, man. No, you're not. You work at Walmart, right? I mean, and then right. it's totally demotivating. It's crushing you, Thank you. right? Thank Gratitude, you. 
I am really grateful that I, my legs work today yeah. and I can still talk, yeah, right? Yeah. Well, that's true, yeah. right? And so if I, if I chalk off 10 of those that I'm really grateful about every day, my brain goes, oh, maybe it's not so scary here. Let's start grabbing stuff that we can use to get to our goals rather than stuff we're scared of. That's why you do gratitude. Mindfulness is basically the same reason. Works a little different. Mechanisms a little different, but same thing. One of this, the points that you made about cars leads me to your new book. Ah. And so the, the book is The Future is Faster Than You Think, How Converging Technologies Are Transforming Business, Industries, and Lives. And so why? I think culturally we've, we're, we could enter a flow state as a culture. In other words, I'm watching how fast the world is changing, how much performance and lifestyle and access to information and all these changes have happened in such a short window of time. If you even just look back 10 or 15 oh, yeah. years, Amazing, the right? difference in how we live our lives now. And if you can think forward, I've heard you and Peter talk about, if you can even think forward 30 years, which is about as far forward as he says he can see. But in terms of all these things that are coming, I want to talk about that because I just want people to get a picture. Like, you don't have a choice. What you've said is you've got to decide in your life whether or not you're just going to embrace the science of being a peak performer or not. And, the, and if you don't, you're probably heading towards not neutral. You're probably heading towards depression, frustration, anxiety, fear, exactly. these negative things. The other part of it is you better get on board because culture and ch is changing so quickly. The way we live is changing so quickly. So to me, flow state, embracing that, getting great at it, getting in it more often, and your latest book go right together. Yeah, they do. And I'm going to do three things to make all this make sense. One, uh, Ed, you pointed out that I, I cover a broad range. It seems like I cover a broad range. And I'm, other than the fact that I am a huge animal advocate and have done a lot of work on animals and the environment, that's the odd man out, right? And that's just personal. I love animals. I love the environment. I like plants, animals, and ecosystems. They're the ultimate underdog, and I like fighting for the underdog. I love that. So there's all that. But everything else, I study the impossible. When does the impossible become possible? That's what I study. Mm -hmm. And when you see the impossible become possible, you tend to see two things, one of which we've talked about, which is flow. That shows up all the time. The other thing you see is when the impossible becomes possible, you basically, I always say you find you're seeing people extend human capability, and that usually means flow. Sometimes it can mean other things. Like during the Renaissance, it meant the printing press, and everybody right. had access right. to information for the right. first time, right? right. Like, but often it's, often it's flow, um, or flow is in that mix. And the other side is people leveraging disruptive technology. That's the other half of this equation, right? The impossible becomes possible. You know, even like you look at like the skiers that I was running around with in the 90s. Shane McConkey, who's the most famous of all of them, one of his giant contributions is he invented new skis that were much wider. So we had big platforms to land on. So suddenly the human body could jump off 100-foot cliffs because the platform got bigger and it was well better made and all at the same time that they started harnessing flow in ways nobody had ever done. So convergence of both. That's what you see. So what's happening now is we're seeing convergence. We're seeing artificial intelligence smash into robotics, smash into 3D printing, smash into biotechnology, smash into material science. Gosh. And the effects are, are insane. And so Ray Kurzweil, head of engineering at Google, uh, so does their AI stuff, smartest, probably the smartest guy in the world on this topic has worked the math. And he, th he believes we're gonna essentially experience about 100 years of technological change over the next 10 years. Mm -hmm. So you think back to 1920, think the now, think everything that's happened in that period and put it into the next 10 years, that's what's coming. Does everyone hear that? Did you get that? Okay, that's huge. Right. And you, you, you gotta understand, like, for entrepreneurs, 
for people who want to get out in front of it, oh my God, there's, I mean, we're going to create more wealth in the next decade than we have over the past hundred years. Right? There's more Google-sized opportunities sort of like waiting right now than ever before. So tremendous opportunity. If you're an established organization, a traditional business, something that's been built for safety and security, oh, you're screwed. That's <laughs> you're right? right. Get nimble, get agile, because you've got a problem other than that. So here's where all this ties together. We have a problem uh, dealing with this amount of change, which is our brains are local and linear. We evolved in an environment where local, everything's a day's walk away. Linear, rate of change is really slow. Great granddad's life, great grandson's life, roughly the same, not much changes. Today, global and exponential, right? Happens in China, we hear about a second later, exponential meaning like the difference between last week and next week could be enormous, Mm -hmm. enormous. So the brain doesn't work at that speed Mm -hmm. or at that scale. Mm Fundamental problem. Um, And there's a third problem, which we'll get to in half a second. Flow is the only time we can process information at speed and at scale. Even better, so there's part of your brain right here, the medial prefrontal cortex. It does a bunch of different things, long-term memory retrieval, blah, blah, blah. It's really creative self-expression. And it's a very selfish part of your brain. So if you think about yourself, it will get really active. If you think about your wife, it'll get a little less active. It'll stay active. If you think about me, you don't know me as well as your wife. It'll shut down a little bit more. Think about a total stranger. It's, it's turned off. If I ask you to think about who you're going to be in 10 years and who you're going to become, you would think this part of the brain gets active. It doesn't. It te- the brain treats the person we're going to become as a total stranger. This is why people have a hard time staying on diets. This is why people have a hard time lifting weights right? Oh my God, it's going to hurt today, you, right? The benefit's not going to show up for two years, right? Or why do I want to get that prostate exam? Right? Because the person who's going to benefit most from that stuff is not the person who you are today. Literally, the brain treats it like a stranger. Flow is the only time you can think about who you're going to become in the future and this part of your brain stays active. So it gives us an enormous advantage. One of the things that happens in flow the technical term for it is the watchtower effect. It basically feels like you're high above your life. I have insights. I can see farther, right? And um, it really comes because our sense of self is shut down and we, like, we can think to the future and this part of the brain stays active. It's a couple of those things working together. But it means that if you're going to plan for your future, if you're going to try to steer your company into the future, like you want to do this, the thinking at least, in flow for sure wow. if you can because it's, it's, it's the best, we can think for the future and we can think fearlessly about the future, which is a big deal. All of right? this is converging. The it fearlessness all... part, being in flow, being able to process information this quickly. And you guys, one of the things all of you entrepreneurs listening, which is a large part of the audience here too, or you work in a company's going to change. I've heard you say this and I believe this. There's not going to be a single industry in the next 10 years that's the same. Yeah, we go, so in the book we go to where the 11 largest industries on earth and we track what's converging into these industries and, and what are the changes that we see already. Like there's nothing that the book is out. I mean, it's, it's, it's outrageous. I will like flat out. It's, it. it's, out it's outrageous. Um, everybody has the same, like everybody has the same, oh my God, my brain's yeah. going to melt. And by the way, it's not like I had to stop writing the book. I wrote a sci-fi novel in the middle because I had to, I couldn't, I was starting to like, how do these things converge and what is that? I wanted to know what was it going to be like to live in that world. So I literally created a universe five years in the future and put a character in it and wrote a novel so I could write this book with Peter because mm-hmm. I, like, I could hold the individual stuff in my line. But once you started putting it together, I was like, oh, this is really hard to track and even think about 
what it means to be human is going to change. I, I, I'll give you an example. I think that's probably true. I, I do. I, I, let's well, for certainly CRISPR stuff and genetics. Well, that's where stuff. we're going. Yeah, yeah, like exactly. We got we to okay. at least touch on this yeah, because sure. the vast majority of people, I, I, CRISPR is here now. So this isn't like you know eight years from now. CRISPR technology Dude, exists last today. Year, they used CRISPR. And they edited sickle cell anemia right. out of the. I mean, Come sickle on. cell anemia, right? Like right. it's thirty thousand. There are fifty thousand heritable diseases. Right. Thirty-two thousand of them are single mutations, which is what CRISPR is designed right. to change. Right. So thirty-two thousand genetic diseases could go away this decade. Right. I mean, that's right. That's a radically different world. Right. And is everybody getting that? So I think a vast majority of people don't know what even CRISPR is. Right. And, and they think it's a future thing, but it's here now. Guys, we are currently, not only just the disease eradication, that changes what it means to be a human being. How long you're gonna live, how healthy you're gonna live, what your life experience is going to be like. And, and having said that, like I have a sister who's got diabetic retinopathy, right? Which is one of yeah. the original places this stuff started to really work. Guys, we're remaking the retina. Like blind people are seeing. Like, this is remarkable stuff that's happening right now. It's right? So I was in the room uh, as a Wired reporter mm -hmm. the very first time the first artificial vision implant was ever turned on. Mm -hmm. So the very first time there was a blind guy who was made to see again. Not only was I in the room, I was actually what was seen. It's a funny story. Whoa. So I'm, I'm in this lab. as Professor uh, William DeBell. We're in New York. The patient, his name is Yams. And this is, so this is 2000. He's literally got what we would used to call stereo jacks mm -hmm. in the side of his head. Okay. So he's literally got wires jacked into the side of his head. Right. He's got an implant in his brain. He's been blind for 20 years, and they're about to, it's literally, they're counting down to when they hit the button. It's 10, 9. Oh and I'm gosh. like, and I realize I'm sitting across from him, and I'm a reporter. Our job is not to be history, right? Like our job <laughs> is to report on history. You don't want to be the history. And so what do I do? I push back and try to get out of the way. He's blind. He's been tracking like motion through sound for 20 years. So what happens? Three, two, one, I try to get out of the way. And I always say there's a moral here, which is you can never get out of the way of the future. It's coming for you, whether or not you like it. Oh um, I thought that was that I thought that was amazing. I was story. literally like trying to duck. So, <laughs> so give them, a, you guys, I just want to get a little bit of picture of this. So if you're tying together where we were in the beginning to where we are now, this is such a great time to be alive. It's such a remarkable time. And and frankly, the the, I, the concept of how long you're going to have had Dr. David Sinclair on. I mean, oh, probably yeah, know David. great, great. We talked a little bit about CRISPR more off camera than on, but... Just give them a flavor, just for fun. So we opened the book with flying cars, which yeah. are like everybody's crazy sci-fi technology. And it turns out that which it like isn't. they're here, like there are a hundred different car companies or there are a hundred different companies making flying cars. Every car company is in it. Toyota put 400 million, 396 million into Joby Aviation flying car company three weeks ago. Mm -hmm. um, Bell Helicopter, the yep. big, right? They just changed their name to Bell yep. because they dropped, because no more helicopters flying cars. Yep. And they're the ultimate tech conversion technology. Mm -hmm. Flying cars happen because AI hit robotics, hit material science, hit 3D printing, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And wow, that's totally revolutionary. Crazy flying cars. But it's not just flying cars. It's also autonomous cars. Every major car company has an autonomous car. Right. Like Waymo is rolling out on our streets. Google's autonomous car company this decade or this year. year. Simultaneously, Hyperloop. High-speed trains, LA to Las Vegas in 25 minutes, yeah. right? Um, there are 25 different Hyperloop projects in the world today. Right. 
than Elon Musk, the boring company. We're going to drill tunnels under cities, and this is already happening all over the place, and put cars on high-speed conveyor belts. And Elon's crazy idea, the rockets that he's using right now to put satellites in space that he wants to take people to Mars within the 2030s, he has promised that by before 2030, you can use them for terrestrial travel. So New York to Shanghai in 39 minutes. Mm-hmm. The point is, so the point is not just it's one, it's all of these over the next 10 years. And you have to, like this does, like think about simple things, car insurance. Well, if the cars are all autonomous, yeah. you don't need cars. In fact, Waymo, when you sit in one of their autonomous cars, you're automatically insured. Mm-hmm. It happens automatically. The, the, Risk profile has shifted, right? So whole categories of insurance go away. But simple stuff. If Las Vegas to Los Angeles is 25 minutes, how big is the local dating pool? You got it. Right? right. How big is the size of the local school district, right? Yeah. You, you live in LA, you don't like the schools your kids are going to, suddenly they can go to school in Vegas, yeah. right? It's yeah. an hour away or 20 minutes away. Yeah. Um, all fundamental things, the, the, the way we like to talk about it is with when you have solitary exponentials, AI, right, whatever. They tend to disrupt products, services, and a little bit they make markets wobble. So like the classic example is um, Netflix, right? Streaming video, it's one accelerating technology, and they put Blockbuster out of business, right? So this is product, service, and a little bit of the market. With converging exponentials, you get the scale increases massively, so you get products, services, markets, institutions, and all the structures that support them. So, right, suddenly the local dating pool, the local school, like really foundational things. What's it do to the real estate market? Oh, the real estate market is insane. Right. right? And, it's, and the consequence, so you went to someplace smart, right? So suddenly you can live, flying cars, by the way, do 150 miles an hour, and they can, they're kept, they can do three hours of continuous flight. So imagine how far you can live. And this has enormous environmental consequences. The best thing we can do for the environment is leave nature alone. And suddenly we can live in, right? You were just in Coeur d'Alene. You were talking about how much you like Idaho. And one of the reasons we like Idaho so much is because there aren't many people there, right? That's about to change with flying cars. Or we're going to have to legislate around it and think about this stuff and get out ahead in front of it. That's just one. That's just transportation, right? Every other industry is just as crazy. We're going to look at our lifetime back and go, most people used to live within 30 miles of where they worked. We're going to look back at that time and go, how bizarre, what a small world it once was, and how much, it, where you want to go to dinner at night. And by the way, let's, let's talk about your new industry. You're mm-hmm. now in the podcasting business. Right. And we were just talking, you like to make your things an hour, 45 mm-hmm. minutes to an hour long mm-hmm. because the average commute yeah. is 45 minutes to an hour, yeah. right? So, and you're more popular on audio than mm-hmm. video because mm-hmm. people are listening to you. So mm-hmm. in flying cars or in uh, autonomous cars, you can have a completely, it's, it's a theater. It's a moving theater, right? Mm-hmm. If you want, you can have a desk to work at, you can have blah, blah, blah. So suddenly people, podcasters who have been relying on audio, right? It may go to video because mm-hmm. the autonomous cars, like the cars where people are driving to work, the commute hasn't changed, mm-hmm. but they don't longer have to drive and now they can, Watch it. Even like, I'll tell you something crazy. Nobody likes it when I talk about this out loud, but everybody on the inside of the autonomous car industry is talking about it. Autonomous cars are going to revive the sex industry in ways we haven't even, like it's a brothel on wheels, (laughs) right? Imagine what happens with Tinder, like Tinder for autonomous, want to share a car home, right? I mean, like people are talking, like they don't like it when you talk about it out loud, but like that's what I mean when you talk about like the fundamental fabric of society is going to change. 
all that stuff is, is going to shift in, in wild, weird ways. And, you know, one of the reasons we wrote the book is most people are scared about the future. And that fear is based on a lack of knowledge. So go out, read about what's coming, yeah. and figure out how you can take advantage of it in your industry. Yeah. Get their book. I'm, I'm serious. I, I, I endorse books when someone's on my show if I've read the book. Like, gotta get the, like, why would you not want to know this information? Why would you not want to know what's coming? Why would you not want to begin to think this way? And when you can converge these two things, everybody, when you have the convergence of this flow state and the convergence of what's coming, and people say, wow, that sounds pie in the sky. Many of the things we've described are here now. Most of my very wealthy friends, when we're talking about different things that we're being pitched on investment-wise, I mean, I'll be honest with you. Flying cars and autonomous cars are constantly coming oh, yeah. up all the of, of time, course. right now. Like significant yeah. investments from very smart people. Yeah, and I mean, you, Tony, uh, Peters, and they're in, they, what are they doing? Longevity and stem cells, right? right. Like right. our friends are. I, Peters got four different longevity companies, right? Right. 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 Like and I don't know how many Tony has. I mean, but like a bunch, right? right? A bunch. Like they got a lot of money. They want to live forever. Okay, cool. I'll like. Right. Thank you. Let's go one more, Eric. Because I, I have a not talked about this with you at all, and I'm just curious, because we're talking about travel, and there's all kinds of, there's quantum computers and all these other things we could be talking about. And if you think that this is pie in the sky stuff, if I'd have told you 10 years ago, even 10 years ago, that you would just say, uh, you know, I want a jug of milk, and it's at your house the next day, you right. just say it out loud into the air, and the milk shows up at your freaking I house, know. right? Like, you just thought I was absolutely crazy. My son and I were touring this college, and they were showing us how amazing their library was. Their library, and I'm like, these still exist? Like, you used to have to get in your car, drive somewhere, give them your card, they'd, with ink on a deal, write it on there, check you a book out. Like, think of Dude, wait, do you remember learning? We're roughly the same age. Do you remember learning the card catalog? Yes! Like, that was a thing you had to learn. <laughs> yes. Here's how we use the card catalog. And I was like, right? It's stupid things you take for granted. Like, you used to have a Thomas guide. Like, that right. wasn't long yeah, ago. Exactly. I, I just looked at a, a pretty vintage car, not that vintage. Was there a Thomas, a Thomas guide in it? Yeah, of course they car. did. So when we're talking about these things, guys, you have to, you, you, you must. It's a necessity that you begin to think this way. I'm just curious because I haven't asked you this. What do you think it means for space travel? Do you have any insights? Oh, into yeah. That? So we, uh, at the end of the book. I know. Um, <laughs> right. Yeah, that's where you're going. <laughs> um, the book is really, I... Uh, is focused on the next 10 years. What's going to happen in the next 10 years? But we pull back in the last chapter for the 100-year view. And um, two things to know about the 100-year view. So Ray Kurzweil also worked the numbers on what happens over 100 years. So it's 10 years. Where it's 100 years worth of change over the next 10 years. Deep breath. Before the end of the century, according to Kurzweil, who's barely wrong about anything. Like, he's just not wrong. He's made so many predictions. He's batting, like, 86%. I mean, from the fall of the Soviet Union to the arrival. Like, right. I mean, just, right. he doesn't seem to miss with this stuff because it follows just, there's math underneath it, essentially. He says over the next 100 years, before the end of the century, we're going to experience 20,000 years of technological change. So that's birth of agriculture to the industrial revolution twice Race. in the next 80 years. So let's say he's off by 50%, right? Let's say he's spectacularly wrong, right? <laughs> and it's only 10,000 years and shit. Are you kidding, right? So one of the things that's gonna happen, and we look at this in the, in, in the end of the book, is this is the century that we stop being a single planetary species. We become a multi-planetary species. And this, you know, it being, partnered with Peter for almost 20 years at this point, um, 
you know, this is his big passion, so I've got to see it up close a lot. Um, and I've watched this, you know, go from Peter's crazy idea that he shared with a handful of other people into a billion dollar industry growing towards a trillion dollar industry. Um, so it's really, right, it's massively matured, but, and it's, I mean, it's really funny because if you, what we write about in the book is like, if you think about the space race, you know, I say that to most people, they think USSR versus USA, right? That's the like, what got us into space? It was, well, it was competition between two superpowers. What's gonna unlock the space frontier this century? Competition between two superpowers, only those powers are Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk, right? right? They're arguing, Bezos got Blue Origin, Musk has got SpaceX, and they both, and they've got different viewpoints. Bezos wants to go to the moon and build space, floating space colonies. Musk wants to go to Mars, right? And that is what is unlocking the space frontier. And I mean, by the way, just so people can wrap their heads around this, this isn't actually in the book, but there's a company, I'm gonna plank the name of it, Peter's been talking about it for weeks now. They figured out how to 3D print in a couple of weeks, a rocket, a rocket, a rocket. And this is amazing because it used to be like, you know, rockets are, billion dollar toys and like if you screw something up in design right like you have to you build it and you're like oh damn i wish the fin was five degrees off or like what you you're screwed now we can build we can iterate in a rocket in two weeks like things like this ever happened and this is already like this is here right now really cool really <laughs> interesting so yeah this is and it's probably going to happen over the next 20 years. Just amazing. Right? Just the fact that you just used a term called single pl single planet species. Right. Multi like, like <laughs> exactly. we're going to be a multiple multi planet, multi species, planet species, right? Like, guys, it's just, it's coming. You're fascinating. Today was fascinating. It exceeded my expectations. Like, I'm so glad that we did this. And I am, I guarantee you, we're having you back. We are having oh, you back because people are going to want you back. We've, you guys, we've touched 1%, literally 1% of which in really any of his flow content or in their latest book on future. So how do they find you? What do you where do you want them to go find you? First of all, uh, free tool for anybody. If you go, to, so the flow stuff, flowresearchcollective.com. But if you go flowresearchcollective.com forward slash flow blocker, um, it is a diagnostic we built that says, hey, let's analyze your life. Uh, figure out what is the thing that is the biggest stumbling block between you and getting into flow. So that's a free diagnostic for anybody who wants it. That's out there. And I'm stephencotler.com. So, uh, and if you're really psyched about future, uh, the book, more than anything else, you can go to futurefasterbook.com. Because no matter what I do, I can't convince my co-writer that we shouldn't build individual websites for our books. Because I do any floating like orphan websites for books. I've got 14 <laughs> books, they all got a little website and I gotta tend them all. Like, no, it's a bad idea. I think but, it's been working out pretty well for you. Dude, thank you so much pleasure. for today. It's I enjoyed this today it's so much. Great. Everybody, I know you enjoyed today's show. I know you learned a ton. I know you're inspired. Hey, listen, if you follow me on Instagram, you know this. I want to engage with you more deeply because I want to know who you want sitting next to me and what kind of content you want me creating. And so every day on Instagram, I run the max out two-minute drill. When I make a post, you got two minutes. Make a comment. So turn your notifications on. If you miss the first two minutes, just make a comment every day on every post. At the end of the week, we add up anyone who posted on every comment, comment on every post. We pick a winner from there as well. Or if you reply to people's comments on there, you increase your chances of winning as well. We pick winners every week. They ride on my plane with me. They go to events. They get coached by me or my guests. They get max out gear. It's really cool stuff just to reward you for engaging with me so I can learn more about you. So participate in the max out two-minute drill. God bless you. Max out, everybody. Yeah.
This is the Admiral Show.